All right, guys, back here at the Joshi Pod, and I'm very excited to have this week on the podcast Eric Margolis. Uh, he's not a famous Japanese woman's wrestler. <laughs> I don't think he's ever been in a wrestling ring before. I'm not sure. But uh, what he did do is he had an article recently for the New York Times where it's called The Fall of Terrace House. And as we all know, um, as Joshi fans, the, the tragedy with, with Hana Kimura... I want to, again, welcome to the show. Eric, how you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me on. So before we get to the uh, meat potatoes of the story, let's talk about you a little bit. How did you uh, end up in, you're, you're in Japan, correct? Yes. Yep. I'm in Nagoya. How did you, how did you end up in Japan? So I studied, I studied abroad, um, in college in in Nagoya actually uh, and sort of from that time I, I had I had been studying some Japanese but really after my experience abroad I got very interested in translation actually and so that kind of encouraged me to study more uh, level up my Japanese and uh, as I you know was working on my writing career I you know thought it would be the perfect fusion of all my different interests to report on Japan stories, Japan related stories. And really over the past two years or so, I've been, you know, building up, reporting on different things for for Vox, for Slate, for um, smaller outlets. And then um, did this piece, which is my first piece for the, the New York Times and probably the biggest piece I've ever done actually. Uh, and so it's all pretty new. I just got to Japan this year. So uh, a lot of it's new, but it's definitely, you know, uh, doing following passion sort of sort of thing that's turning out pretty well so are you like one of the i mean i'm a wrestling nerd i'm nerd is not a bad term for me are you what, what about japan are, are, are you nerding out about or what interested you to go over there yeah i mean so so many different things <laughs> to be honest I, I mean whether of course you know from early childhood um you know a huge Nintendo guy and getting really into to, to cinema uh, in in high school. I loved film and Japanese film and discovering uh, <laughs> whether it's, you know, Kurosawa or Studio Ghibli and all those things and then coming to Japan and, and loving the architecture and the the sort of an environment and and liter and literature as well. So it's kind of a, a in terms of nerding out, it's kind of a, a nerd, a nerd paradise for me with uh, so many different things that I find interesting and compelling, which uh, which makes it you know awesome in that sense to try to report on so many of those things. So I've been to Japan four or five times. I love it. I, I if I could live there, I would live there. I absolutely would. So uh -huh. what what has what has life been like living in Japan? Yeah, so it, I mean, the timing is crazy. I got here just, you know, four or five months ago when coronavirus was picking up. And so it's made it, you know, it's made it hard to adapt. Uh, but, you know, my, um, my girlfriend lives in Nagoya, so she's been support for me. And uh, especially when, you know, there wasn't really much to go out and do in April and May. But I really like the lifestyle of, you know, having good transportation. The cost of living is lower than at least where I was living in the U.S. before I moved, uh, and also just things like the mountains and the and the, and the sea. Uh, that's really important to me, and just feeling good about my lifestyle. So there are a lot of um, 
a lot of positive lifestyle elements uh, that, that I like, in addition to, you know, being able to see all the and enjoy sort of the cultural things that I that I like as well. Yeah, I love about like going to a, a park over there and, you know, you, you're <laughs> it's old and new, like right next door to each other. You know, the, the most modern new building right next door to like one of the oldest, you know, shrines and, and things like that. I, I think that's one of the most amazing things about Japan. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I'm actually uh, taking a, a little. I'm I'm hiding away right now in uh, a little mountain Airbnb at the moment. Um, and I, I did a I did a hike, and it's so interesting about hiking a mountain is uh, the trail. Obviously, not only is the trail so good up the mountain, but with all the shrines, and you really get a sense of history everywhere you go. And it's obviously sort of a uh, hiking a mountain is in some ways kind of a, a modern experience just you know with your gear and your boots but you can even doing that it's the sense that you know this has been uh you, you can sort of imagine you know buddhist monks or whatever who were who are shaping up the trail hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh so i, I it's yeah it's the, that sense of history is really cool and gives you a, a ton to learn about uh sort of everywhere you go so let's talk about your journalism background. How, what made you want to go into journalism? It, it sort of happened late into when I, I always thought my writing background, I was always really into writing fiction uh, and uh, that's not really a, a great career option. And sort of <laughs> when I was doing my first job out of college in PR, uh, that's sort of how I discovered journalism through being on the PR side of things. And realizing, uh, you know, even though sort of the PR side of the media business equation is much more stable, that I would really love to be on the other side of things and applying my writing to breaking these stories. Uh, and and so I started. That's when I started uh, doing journalism, just as a as a side gig. And you know, being even when I was in the U.S., being so interested in in Japan, I tried to you know keep my stories uh, Japan related where I could. And so sort of the first big story that I did was for Vox about the uh, anime industry and about the uh, sort of inequality and really basically slave wages for animators. And that's sort of how I got into the, the world. So what do they think about a, in a foreigner coming in and, and butting their nose in on on some of the the secrets of like the I won't say dirty little secrets but some of the secrets of Japan yeah I mean and I always this is something that I think about a lot because my I, you know I'm interested in social issues I you know politically I definitely fall pretty far left of center and I and so it's always I try to be careful about right because it, it can I don't want to be you know, because I love Japan, so I don't want to be just sort of shedding light on these negative aspects and problems because, I, you know, there are there are problems everywhere. I, I personally think the problems that the U.S. is facing are, are much more severe. Um, but, you know, this is sort of my approach. I want to, uh, as someone who, who really loves Japan, I think it's important to understand that not, you know, not all that glitters is gold and that there are, especially in, you know, for me in these creative industries that I love, cinema, anime, music, pop culture, like there are, like, we should support the people. 
and, and sort of not the corporations that are making profit, that are sort of profiting off of everyone. And so that's sort of the angle that I take, right? There's this bright, vibrant culture of creativity. And a lot of the times the creators are being exploited. And, and so that's kind of why I, it, it feels important to me and why I sort of, even though it's critical journalism, I, I approach it from sort of a position of love uh, because I care about the art and the people creating the art uh, and not necessarily those profiting off of them. So that, that was one of my biggest struggles with the Hanakamura um, passing was that I held Japan to such a high standard because I've only gone there as a tourist. I've only spent there, you know, a couple weeks at a time, you know, four or five times. And I, I just held it on such a pedestal that it really hurt me and, and, and kind of the, the bloom came off the rose a little bit for Japan for me for a bit when mm. I, I heard about the, the Hanakamura story and, and what led up to that. So right. talk to us about how you were approached or did you go out on your first by yourself to go look into the story or were you assigned this story? Yeah. And, um, and just sort of the background on my, my, my thought, my approach is sort of right. The same thing, like as a fan, as someone who, who loved Terrace House, it's is important and it seemed important to me uh, with how intricately woven what happened to Hannah is into different social issues and and sort of legitimate problems. And so I I sort of approached the story from thinking, okay, well, what this tragedy it it tells us something, you know, about culture and society in Japan that that people who are fans should know and should care about and should engage with. And so when I approached, I approached a few different editors before, as I always have to do as a freelance journalist, uh, before I uh, landed this article with the New York Times, sort of from that angle, envisioning something that sheds light on, you know, how this tragedy is very, representative and important because of how intertwined it is with different social issues and, and sort of actually the the a lot of the the juicy scoops that both were broken by uh Bunshun and then sort of expanded on in the article that they, they sort of happened as the article was going on and was developing and so it kind of shifted a little, little bit to capture uh, all of that you know as I was writing the article, um, you know, Kai agreed to speak out and uh, Hannah's mother fi uh, filed with the uh, ethics broadcasting organization and all sort of that happened in real time. So so the original vision was more, you know, more of a position of uh, unpacking the tragedy. So one challenge I have, I'm across, the, I'm in California, so I'm across the world, basically, and getting the the I'm trying to think of the right word, the trust, I guess, for the Japanese to trust me to come and talk to me is mm -hmm. uh, something I had to, it's, it's been a challenge from, from the beginning. I've only been doing this since October of last year. So mm -hmm. I, I've had a challenge of getting them to trust me. I luckily recently I've broken through the, the barriers though. How did you get mm -hmm. them to trust mm -hmm. you? Yeah, that's always a challenge. Um, uh, when, writing journalism about Japan. And this was, you know, as you could imagine, harder than, even harder than, I have trouble getting like 
I've written some stories about the Olympics. I, I have, I've, I've written, I've written some stories about uh, like racism, and I, I have trouble getting like even you know activists and nonprofits to to sort of be willing to speak up about their cause, which to me can seem you know counterproductive. But there is a high, high barrier, and so on the one hand, it was sort of simple because the simple side was that these companies, uh, you know, Fuji. Uh, East End Entertainment, they all have their line. You know, it wasn't hard. I actually thought that was going to be the hard part of it, but you know, they don't have it. They they don't have much to say, and they were they were very helpful and responsive to me. But you know, that that wasn't where the barrier is. The barrier obviously was the cast. Uh, so I had to cast oh <laughs> I had to cast a, a wide net uh, in, in terms of you know reaching out to people and talking them through what the article was going to be about. And it definitely, I was really impressed by everyone who I spoke to because it, it took leaps of faith. And I think mm -hmm. it goes to show how that Terrace House was very important to the cast. You know, whether or not they had a positive or negative experience, it matters to them. So, you know, in, in principle, you know, they're more willing to speak out because it seems important. Um, but... So it, it might have been, it wasn't as hard as it, it might have been, but there definitely was a lot going on in the background of all these conversations. How did you reach out to them? Did you use social media to reach out to them or how did you go about that? Yeah, um, I probably can't be too specific, but I, different, some social media, some other ways, various, mm -hmm. <laughs> various ways. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. <laughs> Yeah, because people ask me, because I'm going to pat myself on the back for half a second here, that, you know, I, I've got some pretty high, <laughs> high level Japanese women's wrestlers on my show. And people are like, what right. context do you have? How do you do that? I'm like, I just DM them and, and keep asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's it's definitely that sort of thing is uh, more persistence than creativity. <laughs> exactly. That's what I tell people. It's, like, it's all persistence. I keep asking and asking and asking and, and I cast my net wide as well. And hopefully one or two say yes, you know? Right. And then that was a lesson that I learned from working in PR. Cause that's, you know, when you pitch something, you pitch it to a million journalists. And as a freelance writer, when I pitch something to editors, I pitch it to a million editors. And so, and, and, and when getting sources, my my in Japan for American sources, my rule is to always to reach out to twice as many people as I actually want to talk to. But in Japan, it's more like three or four times as many people. Yeah. So let's talk about the the meat and potatoes of the story. So Terrace House. I mean, we we all know what ended up happening with Hana, and we are all. I, I don't know if were you a wrestling fan at all? Do you have any idea about her as a wrestler, or just just on the show? Only through the context of, of the show. I mean, I will say that I loved seeing that about her, and I, I do think I do think wrestling is cool. But I, I you know, I'm not not at all familiar with the world. That's fine. No, but it's a, it's amazing the impact that her passings had on the community, and right. um, yeah, the wrestling community because it it was a non wrestling thing that took Hana away from the wrestling fans, and it wasn't a wrestling mm. fan that caused this. It was it was an outsider. So again, let's talk yep. about your story here. So how did you, you, you attacked it a certain way. How did it build upon itself? Talk, can you go into a little more detail about how it built it on itself, on itself, on itself to, to doors opening halfway through and, and, and things like that? Yeah. So as, as I sort of uh, mentioned before, 
things were breaking about, uh, you know, what different people were saying happened on the show as I was building out the article. Uh, and so some of, I, I'm not going to take credit. I mean, a lot of that was uh, Bunshun first from with, uh, Bunshun spoke to Hana's mother first, to Kyoko Kimura, and then I spoke to her after uh, and confirmed a lot of things and and got, you know, heard, heard her story firsthand. Same thing with Kai. And so sort of the other cast members, the former cast members who I spoke to, um, that was, you know, where I was trying to get the real, because what, what I wanted, I, honestly, as a, as a fan of Terrace House, you know, I was, I totally, you know, I honestly, I took it, I took it at first hand. I, you know, I assumed that what we were seeing was pretty much what happened. I mean, obviously there's going to be editing involved, but um as a fan, I was, you know, it was also just being curious, like what was really going on behind the scenes. And so, you know, at, at, funnily enough, the first, you know, the first, I talked to a bunch of people and, um, you know, people, it sounded, you know, people all had different perspectives, you know, there wasn't a, a lot, a lot has to stay, you know, off record, but mm -hmm. re really the, a lot of the the most explosive or so, sort of the most horrible things in terms of the staging of the, the the alleged staging of the costume incident and some of the other things that Kai and Hana specifically went through uh, you know obviously those are the biggest headline items and uh, those were you know those were sort of things that mattered most in the end, and a lot of the other a lot of the other conversations that I had were the informing context to sort of, you know, help me understand how unusual that level of you know supposed intervention and manipulation was. So, somebody once I read somewhere it's a reality show, not a documentary. <laughs> it's a, right. a famous hearing a saying I've heard before. So what surprised you the most when you're talking to Kai or you're talking to other people? What surprised you the most or was most, um, I guess, yeah. what opened your eyes, I guess, the most about things you heard that you, you couldn't have imagined was, was real? I guess the, ver the variety of experiences that cast members had in the sense that, you know, people really did have roles that they were expected some people had roles that they were expected to take on uh and some people had and some people were able to be themselves more uh and just hearing that was interesting because i you know it it wasn't exactly what i wanted to hear in the sense of you know you think six these six people it's sort of egalitarian in the sense that they're all in the show together they're all in it together they all you know, supposedly want to find love to a certain extent. And so hearing that there were sort of, it's my impression, uh, I don't want to make any definitive claims beyond what's in the article, but my impression is that people were treated differently based on, you know, how active they were in their romantic pursuits uh, by, the, by the staff. And so that was sort of surprising to me because you know not everyone was given a fair chance not everyone was get was given sort of equal uh equal opportunity to sort of flourish there yes i mean we have so many reality shows in america i guess it started with a real world way back in the day where they 
pick stereotypes and had stereotypes living in a household and watching the stereotypes kind of confront each other or what have you or interact with each other. It, it was, I don't understand the nuances of Terrace House because I don't understand Japanese. Mm-hmm. Is it kind of similar to that where they had just different personalities in, in the house to, to kind of see the different personalities clash a little bit? I, I honestly, I don't think so because I mean, this is part of the reason why the, sh- the show is also, you know, it's a great show. It's very effective because it didn't lean too hard into stereotypes and, and those sorts of things for the most part. I mean, sure, everyone was different, but in a, in a much more, you know, subtle, realistic way, which is, I think, part of the reason why that it's such a good show and is so, is so effective um, because yeah, there were there aren't a lot of over the top sort of stereotypes involved, and I think what went wrong with Hana is that maybe they leaned into that more than they should have with her arc and some of the things that happened this season. Uh, you know, another thing that people talk a lot about with this season is Shacho, um, the sort of creepy, <laughs> creepy CEO guy, and um, mm-hmm. I. I didn't. I don't think there was as much of that in previous seasons to a certain extent. People felt very. People are very real, and for the most part, they were very real, sort of separate from uh, whatever labels you would assign to them. How are ratings? I mean, I don't know if how because we get ratings here every week in in the states. How are ratings for the previous seasons compared to this season? Do you have any idea? Uh, I couldn't. I'm not sure off at the the top of my head. Obviously, Terrace House grew has grown uh, internationally mm-hmm. over the past few years. I didn't really, I first started really watching in 2017 or in the, with the, the opening New Doors season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of other fans of the show started around that time and it's definitely grown, it definitely internationally it's grown a lot since then. Uh, the sort of, the ratings context that did sort of play into the story is that we know that Fuji, TV has had uh, sort of historically since the two early 2000s uh, dropped, you know, become relatively less popular than other major Japanese TV stations. So I think a lot, some fans and some sort of analysts of this see increasingly, maybe increasingly aggressive attempts to play up, to play up for ratings with Terrace House uh, and just sort of, you know, the Terrace House being important to Fuji uh, in general for, for getting good, good ratings. But I think, I think it is sort of speculation. Um, it's hard to say exactly for sure. Yeah. yeah Cause that, that's what came to mind with me. It was like, did they are rating slipping? Did they need to spice it up a little bit? And maybe they started doing something that they, they hadn't done in the past or, you know, just try new tricks. Right. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. And it's certainly, I think, yeah, you, I did, I didn't look at sort of the specific ratings over the course of this season, for instance, but from a broader perspective of the show, it seems un, uncalled for uh, because you have had this pretty successful model um, you know, of letting things or, or seemingly letting things play out fairly naturally. And, and some of the past seasons, opening new doors especially, ended on, you know, sort of got a ton of drama as it went on. Same with uh, Boys and Girls in the City. By the end, there was a ton of drama. And they may have, maybe they were trying, you know, 
to to get there a little too artificially in in the current season. Uh, but I think with the model that they had, there wasn't there's not a real reason to 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 vie so hard for the ratings. Um, you know, if that's what they actually did, you know, we don't. Yeah. I'm, I don't have an answer on that. Yeah. So talk about your conversation with Kyoko. How how was? I mean, obviously it wasn't easy. I'm guessing, but what uh, what was her attitude like? What was her feelings like? Can I just it, it kind of tell us about your conversation with her, please? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was really grateful that she was willing to talk. I, I, she is really trying to, I think, make the most of this in that. Uh, you know, you can tell, uh, you know, based on what she's done, that she is really focused on putting this into the public eye, putting the pressure on the production companies, uh, putting the pressure on lawmakers, honestly, putting the pressure on everything. She really, uh, you know, it's it's impressive what she's managed to do. And obviously, she is a, a powerful voice, which certainly doesn't hurt but just from a you know a personal standpoint I, I really admire her for being so proactive and willing to put herself out there despite really uh horrible uh, you know horrible things happening uh, and so i you know I, and i got the impression from speaking to her that you know she's a very she's very down to earth very determined uh person uh, and in that way, in that sense, our conversation was very productive because, you know, you could tell that she, you know, while obviously still grieving, uh, that this was about, you know, telling the story and moving, sort of moving things forward. Uh, and that's sort of how I felt. I, I definitely got that impression. Did she have, did she share any regrets she may have with, with everything that happened? Uh, no. And I'm sure, I'm sure she must yeah. have, you know, um, I would definitely in the conversation more, more focused on sort of the, the facts of the story and what happened mm-hmm. with Hannah. So I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. It, it, it certainly sounds like, right. There wasn't completely perfect communication from between her and Hannah, but I'm not, I don't want to put, uh, you know, yeah. words in her mouth. I think, you know, they, it, w- it was definitely much more focused on how to move this forward and what, what the facts were. So what did other, other parts of Hannah's life, I mean, her being biracial, did, mm-hmm. did, that, did that have an impact, you think, on, on what was going on over there at all? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think this was one of the most – this was – one of sort of the big original reasons why I wanted to write the story because I think, uh, and also, you know, other, other people, uh, especially Farah Hasnain, uh, on who's, who's translated a lot of the, uh, coverage and art and articles and social media posts about Hana, um, have she's also amazing. pointed this out. Yeah. She's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no doubt about that. But, um, that, yeah, all of these things were really important. I mean, most cast members that I talked to sort of agreed with the idea that women tended to have a heart, a bit of a harder time with the social media pushback. And, and so did some of the experts that I talked to uh, sort of pointed out that, that uh, women will also will tend to have a, a more difficult time on social media uh, in, in terms of hateful comments and, and, and reactions to what they say. 
Uh, I think there's, yeah, so there's a clear misogyny element involved. I think there is a, a racial element involved. People did uh, hone in on, you know, her having, you know, and I think colorism is an issue in, in Japan and even within people who are pure, pure Japanese. And it's not for the same, it's not because uh, Europeans are, not strictly because Europeans are white. I think it's very complicated, but certainly light skin has certain positive associations with it. Uh, certainly being only Japanese, uh, you know, or or if you're half Japanese being half white, right? That also has, carries, a, carries positive connotations. Um, and people definitely honed in on all of, you know, attack, attack Tana for all of those, all of these things. Obviously, being a wrestler in itself is very unconventional for a, a, a woman and a sort of a sweet, a sweet person like Hana, Hana was. All, all of these things sort of, you know, it's, it's ugly that she was attacked for all this, uh, but it's also right, very telling about not only what where sort of Japanese society is on these issues uh, and that there's a lot of room uh, for social progress, but also on ourselves and how, you know, how I think more, I think more of the hateful comments were obviously the buy, this was a, a problem in, in Japanese, but it gives us, uh, you know, Americans and English speakers a chance to reflect on how we perceived, how we perceive all these people on terrorist house as well. And, and, you know, we're not going to have the same biases as Japanese people, but sure, we, we have biases too. And so I think it's a good chance for all of us to sort of reflect on on our judgments of these people. So talk a little bit about your conversation with Kai. I mean, I'm sure he was devastated like everybody else with, with what happened. Yeah, I mean, Kai, really, I mean, the, so the fun, I mean, the fundamental fact of this is that, right, the cast have NDAs that, mm-hmm prevent them from talking about what happened on set. And Kai basically was like, screw it. And so it takes a lot of, I don't know. It's something that maybe only he could have done in terms of his proximity to the situation, his Mm -hmm. general attitude. You know, a lot of people who go on Terrace House want to work in the entertainment industry. So they really, and it's a small, it's a small world. So, you know, people, uh, there were sort of, I've heard, People sort of implied that, you know, maybe Fuji may have, uh, they may have tried to make things hard on cast to have spoken up. And that's not, I, I have no confirmation of that. But I think Kai was in a good place to speak honestly and candidly. And yeah, he, he, he also, I was in, impressed by the degree of sort of reflection and deciding that this was something that matters and not just grieving privately but uh taking it into the public uh so you know it's a thing yeah it, it takes a lot of courage and uh he was very straightforward and honest so from his, his perspective how real was it the the whole thing that the the interaction between him and hana and the the controversy how real was that yeah, uh, I, I wish that we had gotten in more into the overall, into their relationship and sort of the dynamic there. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't I didn't have a chance to ask him about that. But mm-hmm. it's, it certainly sounds like if, if anything, you know, we can. There were a lot of producer suggestions, 
producer prodding uh, in their dynamic and and with with Hana Hana especially you know whether you know in Bunchen they, they talked about asking Kai to try to feel her up you know on a date um, with Kai you know pressuring him to go on the Kyoto trip obviously different trying to play up different arguments with Hana as sort of her heel persona. Um, there was definitely a lot to dice. You know, it sounds like there was a lot, a lot going on and probably a lot more that we didn't have a chance to get into mm-hmm. uh, specifically with, you know, with Hana and with Kai. Yeah. So, okay, after it all happened, you you were in Japan when it happened. What was the public reaction to, to everything that happened? We saw what happened in the, the newspapers, things like that, but what was the general public's reaction to all of this? I think, well, I mean, maybe just start with, like, my personal mm-hmm. personal reaction. I, like, I was really shook, for lack of a better word, and, you know, so were all of the, you know, the people who I knew who were watching the show, it's so horrible and shocking. And I couldn't stop thinking about it for, for days after it happened because it's so horrible and surreal. And I think that is, you know, obviously, right. There's so many horrible things that happen in the world, you know, and it's, I think it's really important that Hannah's death has gotten so much attention. And I think it, it, it goes to show how, in a sense, how great Terrace House was in that we all came to care for her so much uh, in that sense. And so I think people people really were shocked and sad. Uh, and I think that plays into obviously how much, you know, productive media coverage this has gotten. But uh, people, people were sad. Uh, and I was too. Yeah, from from a wrestling perspective, I mean, or from I'll say from a U.S. wrestling perspective, it happened in real time in during the day in here in California, where mm-hmm. her tweet her tweets were going out, and yeah. I had people reaching out to me saying, "Hey, Eric, you know, you want to go find out, try to find out what's going on with her? You know, can you reach out to somebody?" And yeah. It was a little bit of a helpless feeling because people were asking because I do a podcast about Japanese women's wrestling. People assume that I have these crazy contacts and stuff, you know, they're asking me to do something to stop it. But yeah, it was right. a, a pretty surreal day. And um, as from a wrestling perspective, Hana, it was a prodigy. Hana was, uh, she was born to be a wrestler. Obviously her mom was a wrestler, but uh, she was, uh, she was the one, she was the one, she was the one that people thought would be the international superstar that yeah. she, she would get out of Japan to become the biggest star in the world, basically for, for a female wrestler. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely got, I mean, I didn't, I, and I didn't realize that when I was just watching the show, but right. As soon as I started researching this article, that became evidently clear, not just how much she meant to the wrestling community, but in the content, right. In this broader context of wrestling that, yeah, she was a, you know, she was a superstar, uh, which, I, which I, which makes it poignant. Which all that all that more poignant. Yeah, yeah. She she had every bit the it factor they talk about. She had it. You know, she had it a, a thousand percent in wrestling, and yeah, mm. she was gonna be she was gonna be the one. But um, so your article came out. What kind of feedback have you gotten uh, from the article? 
Yeah, this is so my my weak point about being a journalist is I am I'm definitely sensitive to what other people think, and so I'm I'm always con- concerned, especially what sources think of of the article. Um, mm-hmm. But I've been very happy with the reaction, um, especially you know like I think I think it goes to show that like with people like Hannah, there's sort of a lack of, and obviously this this happened on the show. Uh, uh, this is sort of all part of the story that led to the tragedy, but there's almost like a lack of humanity in in a way of, of sometimes the way that the public treats someone like Hana. And so I was happy to hear that, you know, some I, I got some positive comments about just people being grateful that I was at that in the article, I was taking the stance, you know, that Hannah was a professional wrestler, right? That that was her career and that a lot of coverage and a lot of people sort of demean that and portrayed her as a, you know, a reality TV star or just, just things like, and so other things like that, that I was just glad that I got a positive reception from people who were the big, who were big fans and people who were close to her not uh, close like close to her in the sense of you know really following her and what and what she does and so that was very important to me uh that feedback meant the most to me that's amazing what do you think best case scenario for kyoko is i mean she's she's got she's fighting the good fight right now what's the what's the best case scenario for for what can happen from her perspective i think you know, I, th- I mean, you could say all sorts of different things that happen sort of with Fuji and with the complaint there and what they admit or whatever, if there's any settlement involved, et cetera, et cetera. But I think she's more focused on, uh, I think the, the better, the more important thing is this is a social issue, uh, cyber, cyber bullying. Um, mm-hmm. And so obviously she's working on starting up a nonprofit. Um, the... You know, I think she would want the most to see change, uh, real change. And I think the other, I think the important part, and this was also in the article, but I think the other important part of uh, reducing cyberbullying is more focus on mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. Japan doesn't have great mental health care. Uh, and I think that that could be a really actionable, you know, change if. It's not really in the current discourse, so I don't think it's the most likely outcome. But if we can get to, and obviously we, we need more mental health care in the U.S. as well, but to, to a point where more there's more mental health care resources and more resources for people who are being hurt by cyberbullying, you know, things for them to take action, protect themselves, more more structure for celebrities to be able to just stop waves of hateful comments you know something that just will save a few lives or at least a, a few uh you know trips into depression so i'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here sure some people i mean some people have said why should fuji tv be held responsible or being asked to be responsible for for what happened if it was somebody else who cyber bullied her and it wasn't them who you know, wrote the the message to her or things like that. What what are your kind of perspective on the people that have that that thought process? Right. So I 
for the article, I talked to uh, a lawyer just on background, and his reaction was, well, if this was in the U.S., this would be a lawsuit, right? Like, no, no doubt about it. Uh, there was a lawsuit with um, a man who appeared on uh, Jerry Springer and was sort of a, they played a very cruel prank on him and he committed uh, suicide. That was a wrongful death lawsuit. Um, you know, I think Americans maybe are more uh, litigious than Japanese, potentially. I'm not an expert on that by any means, but they're, you know, they're, there has right there has to be some level of liability just on a basic level right because no but is matter it a, how many, is it a moral responsibility many, or is it a legal responsibility yeah and that's 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 a good question um i think right the, whether or not it's a legal responsibility would have much more to do with the specific law right with the sort of specific contents of the nda and the contents of the contract and sort of the, the specifics of what we're dealing with here. But yeah, from a, and so that may or may not be the case, but to the extent that it is a moral issue, it's worth pressing on in the sense that why wasn't more effort being given to protecting her just on such a fundamental level. And we've seen, you know, questions of, you know, I've, in the article, um, you know, it, it seems very likely that Hannah was telling staff members that she was getting hurt and that she wanted to get off the show, mm. uh, potentially a while before this all happened. Uh, and it's from, yeah, I mean, from a moral, it, it is a moral issue, but from a moral issue, maybe it's worth pressing on as a, as a legal issue. And I don't want to say, I, you know, so much is so much is is speculative, but um, and, or at least you know just based on what different people have said, uh, rather than the factual conclusion. But I mean, there, because of that moral urgency, this it's simply you know you you'd have to think that it, it must matter. It must be worth talking about. It must be worth challenging. All right, Eric, can you kind of uh, let us know where we can find you on social media? Yes, uh, Twitter. I um, am Eric D. Margolis, and, and uh, you know more Japan-related articles, um, various Twitter things. I'm 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 too. I, I have a Twitter mind, which is very unfortunate. But yeah, find me on there. Any crazy stories in the plans in the works right now? Um, some. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I am that article, the New York Times article was was extremely crazy. I'm taking a, a small break from that. Uh, but so it could be a little while before anything. It will be a long while before anything just as crazy. But there will be less crazy stories about books, lots of uh, Japanese literature stuff, uh, lots of climate change stuff. So if you're interested in that, that will definitely be coming through. And there's a link to the article, if you haven't read it yet, on his Twitter. So uh, definitely uh, check that out. I will put his Twitter on the show notes as well. And Eric, uh, I, uh, again, want to thank you so much for joining the show here. It's a little off topic from us a little bit here, but it's it's a very important uh, topic for us to talk about. Uh, Hannah meant a whole lot to the wrestling community. She's wrestled in two of the biggest arenas in the world in her short life, in Madison Square Garden and the Tokyo Dome. So she was... Uh, 
she was special and we're still the the wrestling community the the joshi community the joshi wrestling community is a pretty tight community mm-hmm. and uh we're still we're, we're still trying to recover from this one this one this one hurt yeah yeah and i'm i'm just glad because a lot of the feedback that i've gotten has been from people who love wrestling and so i'm i'm very glad that the article uh resonated with this community uh, i think i think it's such a such a cool thing um I think wrestling is is awesome, and so I'm glad. You know, I'm glad that this story could be hopefully, you know, one more piece in reaching uh, some sort of not conclusion, but acceptance or uh, moving a way to move forward. The next time I'm in Japan, I might have to drag you to a wrestling show. Yes, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Great. Take care.